0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Working Change Podcast. This is Nate and Marla and thanks for being with us today. This is going to be part three of the wellness model so we'll go ahead and Super wrap it up. Super excited. Yes, finally. I know you've been wanting to get this done. Oh, I done. love the
1: wellness model. It's just, yeah.
0: You just want to get it done. I just want to get it done. Yeah, you want to get it yep, <laughs> Get it and get it done. You're all about accomplishing things. So, <laughs> um, Okay, well before we get started, if you do have questions or if you have anything you'd like to talk to us about, um, like topics in the future. Uh, if you're interested in counseling, if you're in California or coaching, if you're outside of California, you can reach us at working coaching at gmail.com. Um, that's a mailbox e- either I or Marla use. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can shoot either one of us an email there. Okay. So we are now on emotional.
1: Right. We're on the E and the S of okay. quizzes.
0: Yes. Okay. So as far as emotional goes, um, emotional is like kind of what we do. It's our thing. Right. So we could take a lot of time with this. We'll try to just kind of make it minimal if possible. Um, emotional at its core within the wellness model is the idea that we have awareness and acceptance of our feelings. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Okay. You like
1: that? I do like that. I think that's very concise. Okay. Um, We do need to be aware of what we're feeling, be Mm -hmm. able to label it. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a skill that you give to children. You know, hey, you're feeling sad right now. Are you feeling angry? You know, I I find that there are some people that just don't know how to label their emotions. So being aware is really important, like slowing down and saying, okay, this is what I'm feeling, you know, so that you're not – thinking that you're feeling one thing, but you're really feeling another. And then being able to accept it. I think we've talked a lot about this just personally about like, where's that line between I'm being, I'm accepting it or I'm avoiding it and, or I'm having like just pure apathy towards it. So there's a difference between all of that. Yes. But I agree. I, you know, awareness of it and acceptance of it is is very super important.
0: Yeah. And so, So really what we we talk about with regard to emotion or emotional awareness is it's important to understand what we're feeling because that's telling us something. Right. So if we have an experience where we're sad or we're upset or we're angry or or whatever that is, you know, we can use that because maybe we need to change something. Mm -hmm. We can also use that because maybe somebody acted in a way towards us that we thought was unjust or unfair or, and we can, we can apply that to the way that we deal with others and make the determination, hey, that hurt me. I don't think I want to engage in that kind of behavior towards somebody else. Right. So we're talking about the ability to learn, whether it's something we need to change or or some kind of um, new way of doing things that we can adopt. So to me, like even more than that, I really like feel that it's optimism and hope that, that gets people to kind of this higher emotional plane. There's a, a lot of studies that focus on optimism and how that affects a person. And I, I tried to get a, a relatively new one. I found one from 2019. And a study by Lee et al. Uh, had over 70,000 participants. So it's a large study. Yeah. And it found that the most optimistic people – had a 50 to 70% greater chance to reach the age of 85 than the least optimistic people. And ultimately, what they found is the difference in lifespan between those that were most optimistic and those that were least optimistic was about 15%. So, you know, you might get an extra 5 to 10 years in life if you're more optimistic. Now, if you're pessimist... You may not care because you may not love your life, right?
1: <laughs> You're done.
0: <laughs> You're like, good. I don't want 15 percent more. Of you don't
1: this. want to be a superager, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But you know, ultimately, what was found was that optimism really helped, um, not just in in person a person's emotional day to day, but also in their longevity. People, they, there were studies that found that people that were optimistic. Um, Performed better in their jobs, made more money. Um, mm-hmm. There was studies that that showed that people that were optimistic had more uh, fulfilling relationships. They found their relationships more beneficial to them, and they were happier in them. So, you know, there's there's all of this that people talk about. Um, you know, it it's it's just about a mindset. And there's so I truth
1: really in that. Like this, because we're talking mainly about like. The sunny person versus the gloomy person. And I'm a gloomy
0: person. I know. I know that's and why I really, you like it.
1: <laughs> I really like this because yeah, you you were always like, oh, why are you so sunny? Ew. You know? And, and I was like, no, no, this is good. Like having a positive attitude is good. You know? And, and now we're finding, yeah, you know, you're going to live longer. You're going to do better. You're going to be well.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't know if I considered myself a pessimist as much as maybe a realist, <laughs> which is maybe just... What? <laughs> Maybe a a realist is the optimistic (laughs) optimistic way to be a pessimist. Um, You know, because to me, I felt like I I wanted to be uh, balanced. Like I knew people that I was like, they're not like, they just had something terrible happen to them and they're smiling. And I don't understand that.
1: Right. Well, I think that bleeds into like the, the toxic positivity, you know, people not being authentic to like actually what they're feeling. Like their response is a little bit off from what they think it I should mean, be maybe. but that's perception right you know we're going down a rabbit hole i know here, you i know. know that's
0: a that's a long conversation in and of itself
1: i did find though like an article from the national institute of health in 2015 they did an article um in august about this topic and uh they talked about like positive and negative emotions mm-hmm. and that they have a place you know like we talked to just a couple seconds ago, we need both. You know, you can't just live with all these positive emotions and never have a negative emotion. Your negative emotions have a purpose. You know, they tell you kind of like, oh, stay away from that or don't do that or you need to change this. This isn't good for your body. This isn't good for you. Um, so it's, they're necessary. It, the negative emotions, they say, are, are n- not good. And and they're harmful when we start to ruminate on them, which is what we talked about in our secondary emotion podcast, that the rumination of it keeps you kind of stuck in that gloomy little place. And that starts to affect your body.
0: And, and that's kind of brings me to this question, which is how long do we have to sit in that negative emotion? Like how long is long enough? Like how do we accept it? You know, nobody loves sitting in negative emotion, and know that we've experienced it and we can now go back to being optimistic and positive and try to, to find solutions for things. Like, is there even a magic time that's like, okay, that's long enough?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. I think that there are just different things that we experience. Like, not getting a cookie at snack time is a little bit different than I just lost my dad. Right. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to have a different magnitude. I mean, a two-year-old not getting a cookie at snack time might feel like huge. that huge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a almost two year old who temper tantrums sometimes and it looks that huge, but it, it, I don't think it is that huge. And so there, I think it just is, is being kind to yourself and knowing that there is a point and then being honest with yourself and saying, have I given this too much thought? Is this now hurting me?
0: Or hurting those around uh, right. me? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. And I, you know, I definitely appreciate that. I think um, one of the things that I, I thought about a, as far as what we can do to increase optimism and hope is gratitude journaling. Um, I know you're going to laugh because I hate...
1: Snickering a little bit. Yeah, because,
0: <laughs> you know, I was going through a depressive period a few years ago and, and I...
1: Didn't I ask you to gratitude journal? You might and you have. Like, and I laughed. And I was like... <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's crazy, man. <laughs> this woman's crazy.
0: So, um, but I, I really feel like that's an important thing. Because even even in my worst state, like... Heck, I was grateful that I could take a shower, yeah. and I had hot water. I could do that if I was born a couple hundred years ago. You Good died. luck with that. <laughs> I would because I couldn't go to the store and get a, a rotisserie chicken to feed my children oh, because I was like, I, I couldn't even get up and cook. I was in such a bad right, state. Right. So, and I'm
1: not laughing that you were that bad. I, I know you weren't. I Just know you weren't.
0: Yeah. But but my point is, is, I, is I was able to find something that I was grateful for when I really tried to think hard about it. Right,
1: and I love gratitude journaling. I mean, you know me that, like, I had a girlfriend who talked about um, we visited her family, and they were doing happies at night. And I was like, what is this happy thing? I need to know. And it was simply just she went around to every one of her kids and, and her husband, and they talked about... Um, their happiest moment of the day. And then they recorded it in a journal and she had this really thick book of she could just look at any day and they would know what went on that day. So I thought I'm going to do that. And she gave me like a happy journal and we went on our way. And, and it was really interesting. We, we did it for a long time and I did it while I was single with my kids. And it was kind of interesting to see what my kids are really happy for in those days. You know, some days I was like, this was a really bad day. Like what happened? And they would say the cutest little things that they were happy for. sometimes, A lot of times it was about the food they ate, Mm. but sometimes it would surprise me. They were like happy that like maybe I just took time to notice them or that their brother helped their, you know, them with something that they were struggling with. So it was, it's really cute. And, and I think it got them also to hear from each other what they were grateful in each other. So, you know, I would suggest that, you know, do that as a family, you know, gratitude journal as a family. Sure. I know that like my kids, your kids now really love- to do that too. And they'll be like, Hey, we need to do our happies. You know, we need yeah, to do our happies today. So true. it can become a really positive force mm-hmm. I think to do that. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's great. Um, so any kind of gratitude journaling can help with, with optimism. Um, the other piece that I wanted to, to touch on with about the emotional is stress management and stress management is, is really important because it often reflects our, you know where are we on in the spectrum between pessimism and optimism? Um, people, when they are hit with a difficult, um, whether it be just life experience or whether it be you know your your car broke down on the way to work, people that are more optimistic have a tendency to feel like every challenge they hit is is solvable. They can find a way to resolve it and it'll be okay. On the other side, when you are pessimistic and something hits. It feels like the end of the world and you start kind of thinking the worst. And so ultimately what we'd like to see from a stress management standpoint is the ability for people to to not freak out. Some things are huge and Can will I just make freak
1: us... out a little bit?
0: Well, so I I did something <laughs> and and you commented on this because I have a tendency to have freak out sometimes. And um we were at my sister's and we couldn't find my keys. And we'd given oh, them to yes. my son to go get something out of the car. And you were like, oh, this is a good idea because <laughs> he loses he everything. <laughs> and we're like, oh, it'll probably be okay. And of course, nobody knew where the keys were. Right. So I was supposed to drop them off and they were late and we were having problems. And I was not freaking out. And you were looking at me like, and I was like, when's waiting for it, the freak out. <laughs> and what I did was I just told myself, I was like, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes. I'm right. going to be calm for 15 minutes. If I find these keys in 15 minutes, then everything's great. If I haven't found them in 15 minutes, I will start freaking out. And we found them in like five or 10 minutes. And I
1: found them. You Woo-hoo! did.
0: Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't freak out. And I, was- I
1: was freaking out, but I wasn't showing I was freaking right. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I kind of told myself after that, I was like, maybe I should start to do that. like I, know, give I was really proud myself a 15 minute clock before I start yeah. freaking out. And
1: I appreciated that as like your spouse, you know, it was nice to not have that instant freak out, you know, mm-hmm. that it was a really nice, calming experience altogether. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. 15-minute non-freak-out yeah. period. Good so job. So I don't know.
0: That's what I'm trying to do. Maybe that might be something someone else can incorporate <laughs> that might be helpful. So just a thought.
1: Just don't make the freak-out really massive yeah. after 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no stewing.
0: Okay. So let's shift gears over to the spiritual. So spiritual is not necessarily religious. Um, it right.
1: I don't think I understood that until recently. Like okay. I always thought spiritual and I was like, oh, religion, you
0: mm-hmm. know? Not necessarily.
1: No, it's not. So what is the difference?
0: Um, so by definition within the wellness model itself, uh, spiritual has to do with meaning and purpose, so which you can see could be spiritual or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, could be religious, but, but you can have a meaning and purpose without having any kind of religious belief. Right. So it's connection to something bigger than, than, than just ourselves. Right. And so for me, when I was looking at this, I really thought of the book, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. And for anyone that hasn't read that, I'd highly recommend it. Victor Frankl was a doctor that uh, a Jewish doctor that uh, was in Auschwitz during the Holocaust. And he observed that there were people that uh, just gave up, which you can understand because the, yeah. the, the lives that they were living were horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also found that there were people that no matter how bad things got, they didn't quit and they were not going to. And, um, Quitting in this in this sense literally means you, you would be killed. Like if you just decided not to get out of bed one morning, you'd be shot or sent to the right. excuse or to a gas chamber. I mean it was it was the end of your life. And so he really t- tried to explore what the difference was between people that quit, that gave up, and people that didn't. Because with how bad things were, you you kind of would have thought that everybody eventually would have given up and what uh what Dr Frankel really landed on was that people that didn't give up had meaning or purpose in their life, and mm-hmm. it might be they were gonna do everything they could to see their family again you know it was it was something that was so important to them that their suffering was it just did not feel so overwhelming that they wanted to give up, whereas right. other people that didn't feel like they had this meaning and purpose got to a point where they,
1: why? Why yeah, do this why I go anymore? on? No. Why
0: suffer anymore? And, um, <clears throat> and to me, that's an important distinction. When we have meaning and we have purpose, our suffering isn't necessarily easier, but our ability to deal with that suffering is increased.
1: Right. You know, in a more trivial way. Like, I, I can see that in my own life. Like, there are some mornings I don't have, like, a purpose for the day. You know, it's less busy or whatever or not. And I'm like, Ugh, why get up today? There's just no point, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas like some days when you have something huge planned and it's like super exciting or whatever, or you have something pressing that you need to do, you're like, okay, I'm up, I'm at it. I'm like, let's, let's go. You know, that purpose drives you to, 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 to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that I can, I can find a connection in my own life where, you know, my depression, my anxiety, my addictions, my ADHD, all of this stuff just was so burdensome and it felt unfair. And when I became, when I decided I wanted to become a counselor and I started to work in the, in the field doing practicum and, and now working as a clinical counselor under, under Tony Overbay, I realized that that my suffering allows me to connect with other people that are suffering. Right. And, and so while I don't enjoy feeling depressed and while I don't like it when I have really bad anxiety or my attention's all over the place or you're feeling like these strong desires to relapse, like like those things don't hit me as hard as they used to. They're still difficult, mm-hmm. but it's a way to connect with other people. Like, yeah, yeah, that is really hard when you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that is really hard when you don't want to go drive because you got no car accident two weeks ago, and your brain is freaking out because it's assuming you're gonna, you know, that there's this high likelihood of of, of another accident. So, in, in a way, it allows me to connect with people, which is now my purpose, which is right. now my 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 meaning in life.
1: So what does it mean to have spiritual wellness? Like when do you know you've achieved that part of the pie in the wellness model? You're like, "Yes, I've got this."
0: Um, and
1: do you know? Cuz if you don't know, I can help you out.
0: I do know, but I think I think I think that you should you should What? Uh, I think you should tell me cuz I think you're going you have the the <laughs> You have the I'm words. You. you have the words perfectly <laughs> printed out on your paper, I and paper. I don't. And I'm going I'm to make it sound bad, <laughs> so you are set up perfectly for this.
1: I'm sorry, I baited you. Yeah, a little bit that's there. okay. So, spiritual <clears throat> wellness, according to the wellness model, is that you've achieved it when you. Are, it's better to ponder the meaning of life for ourselves and to be tolerant of beliefs or others than to close our minds and to become intolerant. So, you've reached that with spiritual wellness, mm-hmm. when you understand your own values, when you are tolerant of them and you're tolerant of others, um, kind of like, like you're Zen, you're like, Namaste. You know, it's interesting. I found this uh, article on the Namaste theory, which is like a, a newer theory. And it's all about how uh, you, your counselor and your client have reached this point where like, if I am the, the clinician, because I value spirituality, I can see the spirituality in you. So because I know who I am and my values, I am able to see the value that, that you have and, and, and respect your values mm-hmm. and be tolerant of your values. So I think that's really interesting that like when we're spiritually well, when we have our meaning and our purpose, we are more likely to be tolerant of other people's purpose and meaning too. We're not going to go jump all over and be like, that's dumb. Why yeah. are you doing that? Right. You know, we have that respect of like, oh, that's really cool. That's not what I do. But like, that's awesome that you do that, you know, and then that's what you love to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, no, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, and <clears throat> the other one I think is, is equally important, which is when we have values that we live according to those values and um, I I don't think it can be overstated that our brains are constantly making judgments, mm-hmm. constantly making judgments. And
1: I'm judging you. Really.
0: <clears throat> absolutely, you're, you're,
1: <laughs> you're thinking, man, he's just
0: blowing this. Ah, uh, nah. Oh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I I really believe that we do that to ourselves too a lot, and that's why yeah. people come into therapy because. <clears throat> like they 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 may have a belief system that they're not living according to and so they're beating themselves up and they're feeling guilt and they're feeling right. shame <clears throat> and they're feeling depressed and they're feeling anxious like so <clears throat> so it's not just creating this belief system
1: it's living consistently living right and living consistently see blah, 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 living consistently between that value system, right, you right. know, if I say my values are this and I'm going <clears throat> over there and doing something else, I'm not going to feel good about myself. <clears throat> right. You know, I'm like, I'm a hypocrite here, you know, and, and I'm going to try to hide that from people. Uh,
0: yeah. Sorry. I keep.
1: Yeah. What are you, what's going on? You uh, allergies.
0: <laughs> um, I'm killing them. So that, yeah, I think that that's, that that's super important. We have a belief system. We're tolerant of other people's belief systems. We live according to our own belief system. And I wanted to throw out service into that. Yeah. Like service, I, I believe, is really important. Um, I, I personally believe uh, based on my own interactions with people and some of my clients' interactions with people and just other people that I know that are very service-oriented, that that brings a lot of peace and happiness into people's lives. I think sometimes when we are able to give service towards others that are experiencing difficult things... Uh, sometimes it gives us greater appreciation for what we have. It's kind of going back to what we talked about, about uh, optimism and gratitude. Um, I think that uh, that's all tied together.
1: Well, it has such a ripple effect too. Like, wasn't there a study that you saw about service or self-care that tied into service?
0: Yeah, so there was a study that looked at self-care and it turned out that this study the study found that self-care in Europe was, was, seemed to be way better. Like it did a lot more good for people hmm. than self care in the US. And so they didn't really understand what the problem was between the two. Why, why if you engage in self care in both places or you have far different results? And they found, the researchers found that self care differed quite a lot. So self-care in in Europe tended to be more community-oriented. So somebody mm-hmm. might be like, you know what? I'm not feeling good about myself. And so then they'd go and they'd volunteer to Soup Kitchen or something like that. And they'd come away feeling gratitude and feeling peace and being, and feeling grateful for what they have in their life. And people in the U.S. were more likely to go to the movies or get their nails done or do something like that. Yeah, and, massage. And there's You're nothing finished. necessarily wrong with, with those things of, of self-care. The question is: Is how beneficial are they to feeling better about ourselves? And in the terms of good, better, best, like the best thing that we can do is service for others. In my experience, right um, now it might be that our back's out and we can't really do, do very much. Right. And and going and getting a massage might actually fix our back, so we could do more stuff and absolutely do that. And it well, might it's be the whole yeah, idea of
1: the airplane, like. When you're sitting on the airplane and the stewardess or the stewardess giving you, like, the whole little oxygen mask drops down. You put it on yourself before you can put it on your kids. That freaks me out every time. But it's true. Like, you have to, like, take care of you so that you can go take care of other people. Mm-hmm. So, in that case, like, your back being out, you got to take care of your back. You can't ignore that and then go do all those other things. Right. You know, make sure that you put yourself in a good space. Right. So that you can go do that. And but then- if you're in an okay <laughs> space... Maybe going out and doing service rather than taking care of yourself is
0: right. the best thing to yeah, do. Yeah, and 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 I'm not saying don't ever go watch a movie. I'm not ever say, saying no don't way. ever go no, get no. your nails done or get a massage. What I'm saying right. is is mix it up. Right. You know, if if the last three times you've done self care were all movies, massages and nails done, you know go, <laughs> you're
1: gonna look good. <laughs> go,
0: you're gonna look great. <laughs> but if you can go volunteer for you know and do something for someone else, like, you know, try to try to change it up at times. So that's well, the nice thing about out. that,
1: though, is is that you're also helping somebody else who mm-hmm. might actually need a lot of help at that moment, mm-hmm. and that that effect is like a pay it forward ripple effect. Yeah, you know, they can then go do something for somebody else too. Yeah. Sometimes so that you know, and I'm only taking care of myself. It's not benefiting anybody else but yeah. me. So.
0: True. Um, okay. So that's emotional, spiritual, and you wanted to real quick talk about. Environmental and financial, which some, um, some wellness models have more than six components. We right. just talked about these six components. Um, environmental and financial are pretty common in other wellness models. Um, there's like an eight dimension. There's a nine dimension. I don't even know what the, what the other <laughs> one is on that one. Um, so why don't we start with environmental?
1: Yeah. I, I really wanted to talk about this because in my undergrad, we read a book that was really interesting by Richard Louvre called, uh, last child in the woods okay and it all talked about what he coined nature deficit disorder which is not a dsm like diagnosis it was something that he said you know we need to look at this we need to look at like our children are not spending time in nature and um the effects of that, and he thought that um, not spending out time in nature is causing like a host of problems, anywhere from like ADHD to depression in our children. There's been an upswing. And, and, and in fact, he said globally, there's been an upswing. It's just not an American thing. It's all over the world that children are staying more indoors. And we're seeing all of these things and all these problems. And but there's been since, you know, a lot of people that have come out and kind of criticized it saying that there are other issues that are going on here that are also impacting us. But what I think is important to, to look at is, is that our environment, and I'm not talking even nature. I'm talking like environment as like what is around us affects us. Mm-hmm. Your environment can be like your living room. It could be your bedroom. It could, you know, just any space that you're occupying affects how you feel. You know, when I go to the dentist, I don't feel that great. Like I'm a little anxious and I'm like, ah! I'm freaked out. But when I go to the ocean, I feel better, you know, so. Like, having a clean room is feels better than having a dirty room, you know? So, it, understanding that, that environment does affect our mood and our mental health
0: sure, is I, super important. Yeah, and, and I can see the application of that. You know, if you live in a run-down home and you live in a crime-ridden neighborhood, you can certainly see why a person would be anxious or right. maybe de- be depressed. So, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I really appreciate the getting out in nature Um Personally, that's something I, I quite enjoy, and I need to do it more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I there was a, a clinician that I knew once that it would encourage people to go outside and just put their bare feet in the in the ground, you know, and and feel the grass on their feet and feel the dirt. Like that was like a part of this this connection. I think that that she really viewed it as kind of spiritual too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but she was a big believer that that, that connection with with nature really helped people feel more peace.
1: No, I agree. I totally agree. You know, there was a study that I came across in 2017 where they talked about vegetation and coverage and um, afternoon birds in an urban setting actually lowered depression and anxiety in people. And I thought that's really interesting, like just adding a little bit of vegetation and having some afternoon birds come hang out. Or hearing them is going to make me feel better.
0: Hmm, that is interesting. You know, I
1: know that the afternoon birds for you probably wouldn't make you. I don't. I don't love
0: the birds right now. <laughs> I have to wash my car every day because they're just pooping everywhere. <laughs> but.
1: But it's still your environment, right, you know, the right. environment affects how you feel yeah. and in what you do. So right. I think that that's important to notice. So like, you know, don't discount the fact that maybe what is making you unhappy is your environment.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, the other one, financial, I think is important because it's like the devil we have to all deal with. You know, we all have to deal with the financial aspect of life. Mm-hmm. And um It was interesting because I came across a study in 2017 also that talked about um, how we feel about financial stress can directly affect our mental health. And what they walked away with was two things, Um, your perception of finances, like how you feel about finances and how you view finances, as well as your stress response are the two things they're going to um, affect your mental health and how you react to finances. And what that means, um, is, is, you know, do I see finances as like the most important thing in my life is like having money and having that security, the most important thing. And if I don't, then everything else is, is wrong in my life. Mm. That's going to affect somebody versus like somebody who wants to live in a van and only have $5 and they're cool with that. Um, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, how do I respond to stress? If that's stressful, then I'm going to have an issue. And that's all going to lead to like maybe depression or anxiety or other things. So finances are important.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. I remember when I was doing undergrad, um, I was a finance and risk management undergrad. And in one of my courses, the professor was talking about some studies that seemed to indicate that around $80,000 a year, again, back in 2014, was kind of the magic number. Mm-hmm. The people that made over $80,000 a year or more or over tended to feel okay about about their their life because they had that right. amount of money and people that were under tended to have more more stress related to money. I don't know what that amount would equal today, but that certainly makes a lot of sense if you can pay all of your bills and you feel like you have some money in the bank and you you know you feel like you you you're you're not necessarily going paycheck to paycheck. Right. You can see how that that would would make someone less anxious and less likely to feel depressed and and things like that. So, yeah, I totally understand that. So, I mean, looking at that
1: part of it, I think, is also important for people. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have a client or somebody who comes in and their financial portion of their life is a mess. You know, it's not affording them opportunities that they would like or other things, and that needs to be addressed in some way. So, whether it's, you know, looking at how they view finances or managing finances or whatever – there needs, there needs to be some work done yeah
0: well and if there's anybody that's feeling financial stress i would certainly encourage them to i mean online there are a lot of mm-hmm. templates that you can that you can download for free that will basically help you budget um and there may be a lot of anxiety about doing that if you feel like you have some financial stress but you might also find if you were to do some budgeting you can find some places where you can cut back and and you might actually end up in the long run being better off because right. you can make the changes necessary so that you can meet your obligations and not feel so much stress i know if you're not necessarily aware of where the money is going then at the end of every two weeks or month or however long you get you get paid um you know sometimes people have no money for a week you know, because right. we're waiting for the next paycheck. And that's that's really stressful. Yes, it is. So I totally understand that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, awesome. Well, uh, that will wrap up everything for this episode. We appreciate everybody being with us. And uh, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.